Welcome back to the second season of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. We're back for another look into one of the most complicated and rich stories in Nebraska high school sports history, the unique football powerhouse built on the Boys Town campus west of Omaha. Earlier, we followed the origin story of the Cowboys, or as they were called in the beginning, and as I still like to call them, the West Dodge Boys. We dropped in on them as they played in front of huge crowds in Los Angeles and Detroit in 1938 and 1944. We saw the birth of the program as conceived as part of Father Edward Flanagan's vision and mission. We watched as it was built and developed by their first coach and athletic director, Ken Cochran. And finally, we saw the potential for a truly national and state power take shape when legendary coach Skip Palrang took over. This week, we point our time machine toward another corner of the country, and a few years later. It is November 26th, 1946, and we are in Miami, Florida, and the historic Orange Bowl. Actually, it's still officially called Burdine Stadium, after an early Miami business leader, but everyone already calls it the Orange Bowl. It's a Tuesday night, and we are waiting for two high school teams to take the field. The hosts will be the Miami Saints Peter and Paul Panthers, winners of the 1945 Florida Catholic State Championship. With a 4-2-1 record this year, they still have hopes for qualifying to defend their title as the South Florida representative. The visitors tonight are our West Dodge boys from Boys Town, who shared the 1945 Nebraska State title with Gothenburg and Scotts Bluff, uh, at least according to the Lincoln Papers. Remember, we chronicled that complicated prep uh, race in an episode of Suiting Up Varsity last season. The boys have won 10 straight games in 46 and are looking to first finish their first undefeated year since 1938 when they won that game in Los Angeles to finish 5-0. As we scan the pregame crowd, there are no Hollywood stars here tonight, but we do see one celebrity in attendance, Boys Town's founder, Father Flanagan. In the 30 years since he conceived of his village of little men west of Omaha, he has become a coast-to-coast celebrity, raising money for his mission and promoting his belief that there are no bad boys. Another big name has been invited, but we don't see him. President Harry Truman, vacationing in Key West, was invited by Flanagan and Miami Mayor Mayor Herbert Frank. Flanagan, always quick to promote his boys, made a public invitation to Truman in the local newspapers. Well, there's no sign of the president yet or even a Secret Service detail here in the Orange Bowl tonight, but there is a crowd of 12,000, despite this being a Tuesday night. The game was supposed to kick off Saturday, but a torrential downpour hit at about an hour before the scheduled game time, and the two schools decided to postpone rather than play on what the Miami News called a lake-like field. The West Dodgers took advantage of the extra days in Florida, getting in an extra practice, some deep-sea fishing, and a trip to the Miami Seahawks-Los Angeles Dons All-American Football League game. The AAFL was a pro league that challenged the NFL in the 40s and 50s and eventually placed three teams in the big big league, the Cleveland Browns, 
the San Francisco 49ers, and those Miami Seahawks that Boys Town watched who had first moved to Baltimore and become the Colts. The field looks great tonight as we watch Boys Town warm up in their all-white uniforms with blue numbers. The West Dodgers have rolled through their first 10 games, nine of which, in true Boys Town fashion, have been played away from their home campus. They are unbeaten and averaging 26 points a game while giving up less than five. Their defense only gave up double digits once to Creighton Prep in a game played in front of 17,000 on the Creighton University campus in October. The boys' three-headed offensive monster has led the way uh, and led the way that night against Prep. Senior running back Leonard Kroll, junior quarterback Tom Carradine, and sophomore end Jake Williams. The Dodgers got on the board first against Prep on a Carradine pass that Williams pulled in, despite a Prep player getting a hand on the ball. That score had been set up by a Carradine to Williams to Kroll hook and ladder play where Coach Powrang showed off all his weapons at once. Kroll stepped in front after that, scoring the next two boys' touchdowns and setting up another by intercepting a Don Leahy pass. Yes, that's the same Leahy who will coach prep in this rivalry game in the next decade and be an Omaha sports figure well into this century. The World Herald's Don Lee was impressed with the running back. He said, Leonard Kroll, truly an artist in the business of high school football. He, he wrote that in covering the 26-14 boys' town win over prep. Here in Miami, I can see Kroll warming up. He's number 43. The senior came off an outstanding junior year and was Boys Town's leader right from the start when they throttled North Platte 31-0 in the season opener at Creighton Stadium in a special game sponsored by the Omaha Junior Chamber of Commerce. Then the Dodgers ran off three wins in Iowa, beating Jefferson 51-6, dispatching their nemesis, Sioux City Trinity, 46-0, and blanking traditional foe, Missouri Valley, 26-0. Kroll finished that string with over 300 yards rushing to his name, a 20 yards per carry clip, and 55 points scored. The 10-second 100-yard dash times he had put up last spring were translating well to the football field. He scored all three Boys Town's touchdowns in their first big challenge of the year, the week before the prep game, when Coach Powrang flew his team to Illinois to take on nine-time state champions St. Beattie Academy in Peru. The West Dodge boys escaped with a 19-12 win and their unbeaten season still intact. As we take a little break on suiting up varsity, as always, I want to remind you about the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame North of the Haymarket in Lincoln, open Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 10 to 4. A great experience for the whole family. Next time you're planning a trip to Lincoln, find a way into the Haymarket area and take a look at the Hall of Fame. It's always free, and there's always new and exciting things if you've been there before. Every time I've gone to the Hall of Fame, there's, a, there's an update on this display or a new artifact or just a new organization there. It's a great place, the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. Well, back in Miami, I'm a little surprised that I haven't seen Williams or the left-handed quarterback Carradine yet, as the navy blue jerseyed Panthers of Peter and Paul prepare to kick off. Those two were young when the season started, but by the time uh, the serious road trip part of the schedule kicked in, they were showing their value. The week after the prep win, the boys headed across the river to play Council Bluff's Thomas Jefferson, and the Yellow Jackets did something no team had done so far. They kept Kroll out of the end zone. 
It was one of TJ's best years as they were in the fight for the Omaha Intercity League title. Carradine and Williams stepped up, though, connecting on several passes and making some big plays in the defensive backfield as Powerang's crew escaped 19-6. It was back in Council Bluffs the next week to play Abraham Lincoln, and Carradine and Williams continued to offer a counterpoint to Kroll's rushing attack. The left-hander teamed up with Williams and others for nearly 200 yards passing as the Powerang T formation became even more deadly in the Boys Town win. But back here in the Orange Bowl tonight, uh, the game has started. The teams have traded a couple punts, and Kroll has had a few good runs, but there's been no scoring, and I still haven't spotted Caradine or Williams. Caradine wears number 45. I don't know what number Williams makes, but it really shouldn't matter. Those two are usually pretty easy to pick out in the Boys Town lineup. They are the only two black players among the Boys Town regulars. As we scan the field and the players in uniform on the bench, there's no sign of them. And the Boys Town offense isn't clicking like it has in the home stretch of the season without those two. After those two games in Council Bluffs, the West Dodge boys had headed for the airport again and flew about as far away as where we are standing tonight in the Orange Bowl as one can and still be in the United States in 1946, Seattle, Washington. There, Kroll was again the big story, rushing for 161 yards and catching passes from Carradine for another 100. It was close for the first half, and then the boys scored three quick touchdowns in the third quarter and ran away from Seattle Prep 26-0 in Husky Stadium. That was win number nine for the boys. They headed home for their only game on the Boys Town campus the next week, waxing Little Curtis, the state agricultural school, 42-0, and then started preparing for the trip to Florida. And here we are at the Orange Bowl. It's 0-0 in the second quarter, and there is no sign of the two of the Dodgers' three best players. Down on the turf, the boys get the game's first break. As the Panthers lose a fumble on their own 17-yard line, Kroll goes to work right away, and soon he's sprinting 10 yards for the first score and a 7-0 lead. Quickly, the boys get the ball back, and Walter Bednarski, who's been taking the snaps in Carradine's place, hits halfback Jerry Howard for a 28-yard score. The next Panther drive results in a shanked punt, and the Dodgers drive 33 yards quickly. Kroll finishes it with a five-yard TD run, and the route is on. Boys Town's undefeated season is going to be a reality, though the Nebraska Papers have already declared their state champion. Likewise, unbeaten McCook, led by star Leo McKillop, and have decided that Boys Town's three-game in-state schedule is insufficient to rank them. Just as a quick comparison, McCook, the state champs, beat North Platte 12-6, the same team the boys had trounced 31-0. Now, to be fair, McKillop, who would join Dodger star Leonard Kroll at Notre Dame in the next fall, was injured and barely played against North Platte. The game in the Orange Bowl may be all but over, but I still don't know where the two Boys Town African-American starters are. I know from reading Hugh Riley and Kevin Warnicke's 2008 biography of Father Flanagan that there was some trouble with the hotel in deep South Miami when Boys Town arranged this trip. After the reservation was made, the Hotel Blackstone balked and asked if the team's black players might not be uh, more comfortable elsewhere. Ironically, according to Flanagan's biographers, the hotel had specifically invited the team, who were, of course, national celebrities of some stature as the football team from famous Boys Town of movie fame. 
In a letter to Father Flanagan, the manager of the hotel tried to explain their reconsideration. Quote, Conditions which the management of the Blackstone cannot control mitigate against registration of Negroes. We do not subscribe to narrow-mindedness. But after exploring potential reaction, find that the boys would probably be subject to embarrassment. We do not care about prejudice aimed at the hotel. Our first reaction was that the Negroes, who in the eyes of God are welcome at the gate of heaven, should be welcome at a resort hotel. But careful consideration indicates that the holiday we wanted to give the boys would be spoiled by the reaction which would make them conspicuously uncomfortable, unquote. The Flanagan biography says of the issue, quote, Through Boys Town's public relations director, Byron Reed, Flanagan responded that he and Coach Powrang would not consider leaving behind any of their players, unquote. Now, that fits with what I know of Father Flanagan's mission. An important part of his no-bad-boy philosophy was that kids were not to be excluded from Boys Town because of their race or their religion. In many, many, many press opportunities that Flanagan took advantage of in the 30s and 40s, they had a public relations director after all, he often took pains to mention and promote the multi-ethnic makeup of his choirs, his teams, and of the village itself. Conspicuously, pictures of father often make this point graphically clear, so much so that the modern observer suspects that the PR director was, at times, carefully picking a rainbow coalition of boys to be in the frame with Father Flanagan. The rosters of teams and citizens at Boys Town prove this was not just lip service, and the testimonials of boys of all colors and creeds about how Boys Town changed their lives for the better prove that Flanagan and his village of little men lived up to their words. Still, here we are in Miami, and as Kroll adds two more touchdowns, I have looked at every Boys Town player suited up and have seen no black faces. None of the articles I read from Miami or Nebraska newspapers about the game before we time, climbed into the time machine gave me any clue that there was any race issue involved in this game. None of them mentioned that any Boys Town players missed the game, much less explained why. My mistake was in the newspapers I read. If I had read the Pittsburgh Courier, a national African-American paper, I would have seen a different story. On the Saturday after the game, the Courier reported that Carradine and Williams had not played because of Southern Jim Crow restrictions. The story was headlined, Boys Town Team Bows to Dixie. The paper reported that Carradine and Williams accompanied the team to Miami, but knew all along that they would not be allowed to play. The Courier says the two were separated from the team at the airport to be housed with a local black family while the rest of the team stayed at a, quote, swank hotel on Miami Beach, unquote, calling into question directly the account in that Flanagan biography. The Courier reports that Boys Town's PR man Reed, quote, begged the courier not to publish this story, but refused to have the white boys pose with the two Negro boys when the white boys were practicing at Flamingo Park in Miami Beach Friday morning, unquote. The paper did print a picture of Carradine, Williams, Coach Powrang, and the PR man Reed from that practice session, but there are no other players in the picture. The caption says that the two athletes served as equipment men, 
during the game in the Orange Bowl. The paper said it was surprised, surprised that Flanagan allowed his incomplete team to play, pointing out past statements of fathers about racial inclusion and saying that father had made demands in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore the year before uh, to provide accommodations for the entire team on any subsequent visits to that area after black players had been housed separately from the rest of the team on that 1945 Eastern trip. I went back and reviewed those two 1945 games. Boys Town was named state tri-champion by the Lincoln Journal when they were 9-0 and before they headed east in 45. There, they defeated Baltimore Loyola 26-0, and a local Maryland paper pointed out that fullback Ken Morris, a black Dodger, was the star of the day with touchdowns runs of 81 and 99 yards. Morris was injured early in the final game with Washington, D.C. Gonzaga, though he and Carradine are both in the box score. They both played. The boys lost that one on a rain-soaked field, 9 to nothing. Both of those games were played in College Park, Maryland. Of course, there is nothing in the old papers detailing the hotel accommodations of the team. Reed, the PR man, was obviously successful in keeping the story of Carradine and Williams' Miami exclusion out of the other newspapers, even to the point of the whitewashed version that appeared over a half-century later in the biography of Flanagan. Riley and Warnicke's ending to the story of the Saints, Peter, and Paul game looks way off base now that we know the truth. Here's a quote from the book. Boys Town, led by its African-American quarterback, crushed the Florida champs 46 to nothing. The boys enjoyed their stay and were oblivious to what had happened with the Blackstone Hotel leading up to the game, unquote. Well, they did get the score right, almost. The Panthers picked up a late score against the Boys Town subs, and the final score in the Orange Bowl was really 46 to 6. But Carradine certainly did not play, and I find it impossible to believe that the boys were oblivious to the racism they encountered in deep South America in 1946. Boys Town would continue to play a national schedule through the 1950s and into the 1960s, but they would never play in the deep South again. The closest they came were a couple trips to St. Louis. One of those trips was the final game of 1947, and the Pittsburgh Courier would be watching. We'll be back in just a minute with the story of that 1947 game. This year on Suiting Up Varsity, I want to highlight uh, some of the different Nebraska high school historical artifacts or sites on the internet. Um, but I want to step back, actually, to season number one this week. One of the things we did on one of our episodes is review books about Nebraska high school sports. And since that episode, I've discovered another great artifact. Um, a book by a man named Jim Elworth uh, about the history of Plattsmouth High Blue Devil football. It's an amazing book. Uh, Mr. Elworth is a, uh, an official at the NCAA in Indianapolis after a career um, as a college sports administrator. Before that, he was actually a prosecutor in the Nebraska Attorney General's office. Uh, but he writes an amazing uh, history, not only of Plattsmouth football, but also of Plattsmouth, the town. It's a great example of how sports history can also uh, be a way to look at the history of a community. Uh, that book is called Go Blue Devils. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, though I think you'll find cheaper copies uh, either on eBay or on uh, Google, on the Google Play Books 
app, you can uh, you can load an ebook for as low as about four dollars. It's a great look at Plattsmouth and a, a great look in love at a community. That's Jim Elworth. Go Blue Devils, the history of Plattsmouth High football. Skip Powerang and the West Dodge Boys opened 1947 on a roll. They had just gone 11-1 in 1945 and shared the state title, and followed that by going 11-0 in 1946, though neither Nebraska newspaper felt comfortable rating their mostly out-of-state schedule. Rating King Greg McBride did admit that Boys Town may again have been the best team in the state. He just he couldn't say for sure without more in-state competition. Interestingly, a group from Omaha had tried to come up with that one more game in 46 to help solve that problem. And the boy, as the boys were enjoying the beach and losing that civil rights battle in Miami, a group called the Omaha War Dads was trying to arrange a fundraiser game to be played at Municipal Stadium of Omaha and calling it the Corn Bowl. Group spokesman Fred Meyer said they approached Lincoln High, always a Nebraska power, who had stumbled late in the season at Grand Island and cost themselves the state title. And Iowa City High, the Little Hawks were 9-0 in 1946 and Iowa State champs. And McCook, the team that was named the Nebraska champs with their superstar, Leo McKillop. And Omaha South with their own big star, train wreck Tom Novak. A win over any of those four might have tipped the rating scale Boys Town way and uh, given them the 1946 state championship, but there were no takers. Coach Powrang and his boys would have to be happy with a 22-1 two-year mark and a piece of one state title. But that's where they started in 1947. Kroll had moved on to Notre Dame with McKillop, but Carradine and Williams were back and in uniform. Powerang had arranged one of the deepest Nebraska schedules ever for the boys. They chalked up wins over North Platte, Scotts Bluff, and Gothenburg, as well as those Omaha neighbors, Abraham Lincoln and TJ of Council Bluffs. The only in-state loss was to rival Creighton Prep, 13-7 in front of 13,000 at Creighton Stadium. By the way, the Dodgers and Prep weren't the only Nebraska schools drawing big crowds. Grand Island, with junior star Bobby Reynolds, defeated Lincoln High in 1947 in front of 20,000 in Grand Island's new Memorial Stadium in November. Grand Island and Prep would both finish 47 unbeaten and share the mythical state newspaper titles. The West Dodge boys were eliminated from that race with that loss to the Hilltoppers, but they still carried the state's banner on three big national trips in 47. In October, they reignited the Detroit Catholic Central Series, which would continue most of the next decade, beating the Shamrocks 32-20. It was Carradine, now the mayor of Boys Town as well as its quarterback, who sparked that win, passing for two touchdowns and setting up three others. Attendance was down from the mid-40s, but the 23,411 who walked through the gate topped any other Nebraska prep attendance mark of the day. A second national rivalry began for the boys as they traveled to upstate New York in November to play Rochester Aquinas Academy, 
Aquinas played a national schedule similar to the boys, and that made this a natural matchup in the Dodger schedule. In fact, the Rochester newspaper, the Democrat Chronicle, often covered Boys Town as closely throughout the year as the Rochester and Buffalo area teams around them, so that the locals would be well informed when the big game, often played on Thanksgiving, rolled around. The 1947 Aquinas Irish had lost only once in Port Arthur, Texas, uh, while they had also defeated Detroit Catholic Central and had a big win in Erie, Pennsylvania. The powerful Irish running attack staked them to a 13-0 lead before Carradine started bringing the boys back, first with an interception as Aquinas threatened a third score, and then with a couple nifty touchdowns set up with a passing attack to Williams and his other end, Dick Puczynski. Finally, though, Aquinas was just too much. In front of a local record sports crowd of 22,328 in the AAA Baseball Red Wing Stadium, as they started bringing a lot of pressure on Carradine when he dropped a pass and the Boys Town running game couldn't counter. The home team won the shootout 29 to 18. The 1947 season ended for Boys Town in St. Louis, and that national African-American paper, the Pittsburgh Courier, was there to see how Father Flanagan's program would react in this city, which at times was very Southern. They were happy to report that Carradine and Williams not only played in St. Louis, they starred, especially Carradine. The Courier said the senior, quote, humbled the locals, unquote, in its headline, and played up his mayoral status, his nifty left-handed passing, and his sparkling play in the defensive backfield as the Dodgers won 24-13. Carradine would lead the boys to their first state basketball tournament in the winter, upsetting Chuck Stickles and Hastings in the first round. I regret leaving Carradine off my list of Boys Town's best-ever athletes in that episode last season. He certainly belongs on that list as do Leonard Kroll and Clarence Adams, other Dodger stars of the 1940s. Coach Powerang and Boys Town had developed a scheduling pattern now that struck a balance between Nebraska and the nation. They understood they weren't going to play enough Nebraska games to make the Raiders comfortable with them, but the Creighton prep rivalry was at least going to keep them relevant in the minds of the locals. They were going to play an amazing national schedule in front of big crowds in almost every corner of the country though never in the deep south again, and have their exploits followed in newspapers from coast to coast. Next time we look into the Boys Town story, we'll see them develop a relationship with North Catholic High of Pittsburgh and add that to their regular itinerary. And we'll see them deal with a huge loss in their Boys Town community as we continue the incredible story of the West Dodge Boys and their traveling football show. That's it until next week when we bring you another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. Until next time, follow us on Twitter where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity or see us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SuitingUpVarsity or check out our website for show notes at suitingupvarsity.org. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska high school sports, leave suggestions for future episodes, tell us how many games versus Nebraska competition you think a team should have to play to be eligible for the state ratings, or answer this week's trivia question. Who was the coach that finally followed Maurice Skip Powrang at Boys Town 
And in what year did Boys Town finally make a coaching change? Remember that Pal Ryan joined Boys Town in 1943. We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, please take time to rate us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever else you find your podcasts. Just a quick rating from you and maybe a comment can really make a lot of difference in how the search machines uh, treat us. And when others search for podcasts about Nebraska or about sports or about history, we show up more often, and that helps people to find our show. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Season 2, Episode 1, Number 2, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trend Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2017.